You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today are two of my regular panelists, freelance writer Julian Murdoch. I'm back after like three weeks away. It feels so good to be home. And you missed Bruce in both of them. I know. It was totally intentional, I'm sure. Yeah, well, Bruce is dodging you. And freelance writer Rob Zachney. Hey, everybody. Uh, with us today, uh, we have two very special guests from Norbsoft to talk about uh, their uh, real-time Civil War uh, war game, strategy game, uh, Gettysburg Scourge of War. We have Norb Timko. Hello, everybody. How you doing? And lead designer Jim Weaver. Evening, all. Now, you guys are pretty close to my neck of the woods. Yeah, you're uh, right down the University of Maryland. I'm up in uh, Jersey. And I'm just out in the wilds of Gaithersburg. Gaithersburg, like a 40-minute drive for me. That's pretty cool. Very handy, very convenient. Much closer than Julian, who lives in the middle of the woods. I do live in the middle of the woods. Where do you live, Julian? I live in western Massachusetts, in the middle of the woods. As opposed to Rob, who lives in a respectable city. If you can call Cambridge respectable. We're like the afterthought to Boston. (laughs) So... So uh, I've been having a lot of fun uh, with Gettysburg Scourge of War, and I want to talk a little bit about it. But I want to start with, uh, Norb, your roots with the Mad Minute Company, because the Take Command games, uh, Take Command 1 and 2, on the first and second battle of Bull Run, uh, really stand out in my mind as some of the best uh, Civil War war games uh, I've ever played. Um, Can you talk about that experience and your history with Mad Minute and how that brought you to where you are now? Oh well, thanks. I'm glad you glad you liked them. <laughs> it's the first time I ever uh, took on the endeavor of coding a game, so it was a huge learning experience for me. Um, we were working at Breakaway Games at the time. And you and Adam Bryant, my partner for Mad Minute Games, right? And uh, you know, we I've always worked on the side doing something, and you know. We just got together and decided to give it a shot, so I got a 3D engine and started messing around, and we worked together for a while, and Bull Run came out of that, and we got the um, the GDC invite and went there, and then Activision Value saw us, so uh, we got Civil War Bull Run put out. It was really cool. Very exciting time to walk into a store and see your game that you wrote in your in your house sitting on the shelf. Uh, take command was at that GDC. I think we actually spoke uh, at that event, and it was really something to see. Uh, it really stood out among the rest of the uh, games on the floor. Yeah, there was one game I forget. They were right next to us, and uh, they were, had like this giant budget, and we're like, we can't compete here. I think they walked away with all the prizes that year. <laughs> I can't even remember who they were. But, uh, yeah, we got a lot of, I mean, just going to the GDC was a huge thing for us. And uh, going down that red carpet and seeing your game up on the on the stage on the big screen, it's, it's quite an experience. One of the big issues, of course, was the map. And from the first, the very first Take Command game, people were saying, well, you got to do Gettysburg next or Antietam. you got to do something really big. And, of course, the map's the big thing, right, which is why you have Bull Run 1 and 2 and not Take Command Shiloh. Well, the the thing was, um, originally we thought we'd just keep going through the whole war, so it was really just an order thing. I didn't pick the battles myself, they weren't my choice, but I mean, I think the concept was we were going 
just going to go chronologically through the war and hit each one as we went along. No, but I mean, as it turned out, though, you, you didn't go straight to uh, Shiloh, which I think is the next major battle of the war, but you uh, stuck to the Manassas area. Yeah, I think just because um, there were there were a lot of personal reasons, I guess, that we wanted to um, put another game out quickly. And uh, Manassas just was the right answer at the time for us. Um, we got approached by Paradox to come up with a game. And uh, so it was just, just a matter of something we could turn around real real quick, keep our names on everybody's minds. I mean, we had a lot of momentum with Bull Run, so we just wanted to keep that up. How long has been in operation? I started it, honestly, I started it just to do consulting on the side in, like, June of 2006. Um, and then when Mad Minute Games broke up, uh, it just made sense. I already had it going, so I just decided to code under that. It, I didn't initially create it as a game company. Now, I, I have to ask, is this is is Gettysburg sort of from scratch, from the ground up? Because it certainly shares a lot of similarities with the previous work. Yeah, it is. It is scratch. Um, but it's, you know, there was a lot of stuff I was working on at the same time. So as I'm working on uh, Mad Minute Game stuff, I'm working on the side trying to, you know, rewrite stuff, do things differently. Because, I mean, I'm just always coding. So some of the stuff you know, is there, and I, we rewrote, and with Jim on board, you know, Jim had a lot of different concepts of how he wanted to do stuff, I had a lot of ideas, so just huge sections we rewrote, but we followed the, the game plan, because Take Command had a pretty extensive documented SDK, so we followed the whole design of the whole thing, I mean, I started it right after I had finished the third patch, the final patch for Take Command, so it just flowed right into the into starting to work on uh, Gettysburg. First, a lot of our users might not even be very familiar with the Take Command games or the Gettysburg game at all. Um, they kind of fly under the radar of a lot of you know, general gaming audience and even some war gamers. Uh, as a designer, what do you think is the core design principle of the Take Command games, if you describe them, and how that changes, or if it changes at all, in Gettysburg? Well, I think what we were trying to do, I mean, really is is take, you know, as I described it to somebody, go from a blinking cursor to history. And what we found <laughs> in developing, you know, because I was I've been involved with with the whole operation since uh, since the early days of Bull Run, and and what we found is as the the people came and went, but the closer we kept it to you know the the historical reality is as best we can we can find it. The better the game got. Um, you know, if we got away from that, it wasn't as it didn't work as well. So, can you give an example? Well, even looking at um, let me see how I how could I put this in something fairly short? Um, when we were looking at um, you know how how does the AI work back and forth? Um, you know, we we simply um, you know, we we simply said, well, it's just going to work the same on everybody because a lot of in a, in a lot of games, the you know the they have to give the AI an advantage because it's not particularly bright. But um, Norb has a particular genius for taking historical concepts and turning them into uh, you know what the sprites are doing on the on the battlefield. You know, I can tell him we need in this situation we need you know this unit to move this way in this circumstance. Um, but not that circumstance, and, and he can figure out how to how to get that to you know to translate that into code to 
to have the, the, the virtual armies do more or less what they're supposed to. Um, it's written with a lot of internal intelligence um, sometimes, which drives you to distraction. Um, you know, when generals go off and do their own thing as they often did, you know, in history. Um, there's a, a, a good quote from um, one of the testers in Bull Run. He said, I finally had to sit down and explain to my wife why I was screaming madly at people who've been dead for 140 years. <laughs> <laughs> because they don't do what you tell them to. That's that's always the answer. <laughs> yeah, or, or you know, you want them to come up and, and do the obvious thing, and they're sitting there because historically they were – a, a rather timid general, and if they were in a position, they were very reluctant to move out of it. So as we brought all of these personality factors and experience factors and charisma factors into the game, the the more we could get this personality into it, the more accurately you know we were able to, to make it fight like there was a bunch of real people um, commanding various units rather than you know, one AI just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, how much of that is scenario scripting as opposed to uh, AI? The script is actually very difficult to script this very far because the AI does take it and run with it. Um, I mean, the scenarios that I tend to, that I've scripted, um, I, I don't try to even try to go in more than about 20 minutes Um Excluding things like, uh, you know, reinforcements coming up at some time later in the in the in the fight, but all you can do is kind of deliver them to the area because you don't really know exactly where the fight's gone or or how it's going. Um, so the you can't script this very tightly beyond the, you know, the first twenty thirty minutes if you're you know if you're really good. Um, that's kind of been a a real dynamic question in in all the Gettysburg scenarios because it's. There's, it's such a well-documented battle that you have to at least start close to history and, and track it for a while. But we've also written a lot of variations and a lot of randoms into this so that, you know, even if you know what happened in history, you can get rude surprises, um, you know, with the enemy following some other path. Well, I mean, that's well, always the challenge in any historical scenario, right? I mean, when you're playing Pickett's Charge... We know how it happened, right? And so there is that that sort of challenge of uh, of sticking true to the experience, true to the form, um, but at the same time recognizing that it's not completely fun if you know that the initial cannon fire is going to go over everybody's heads and that they're going to just you know run into their deaths and only be able to hold the forest for five minutes, right? So I mean that that's to me is something that I always struggle with with historical games that are this historical that are specific to this is exactly what the battlefield looks like, this is exactly the units you have. Um, how I, I, I'm just sort of curious how you wrestle with that when you're scripting out the beginning of this. I mean, how do you how do you script out the flaws of you know an initial engagement? We wrestle. Well, that's exactly what we do. We yeah. wrestle. I'm a proponent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a proponent of the AI. You know, I love the AI, and mm. um, our scenario designers like, well, this guy's supposed to attack at this time, and he's supposed to hold here, and I'm like, well, the AI might not want to hold there. Um, so we're going back and forth and, and he finally won some new commands out of me to make these guys, uh, stay a little more, but I'm always like, uh, you just tell the AI where to go in the beginning of the battle. You put them in historical locations and, and, and take off. But, 
um, all the history buffs are telling me I'm not allowed to do that. So I had to. I had to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly right. Wrestle is 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 a pretty good description of of how it goes back and forth between the the scenario designer and and the various testers. Um, I mean. Who are quite knowledgeable themselves. One's a published author, and another is a retired Gettysburg guide. So it's not like you can slide something by this crowd. <laughs> well, actually, that, that sort of brings me to something I've been curious about. Um, you know, Gettysburg. I mean, there aren't many battles that are as divisive as that one. And I mean, it seems like you have a really enthusiast uh, development team working with you. Um, and it just seems like it's impossible to say anything or make any claim about Gettysburg without picking a fight with somebody, picking an argument. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm curious, did, did you have those Civil War debates, you know, like, did you have those starting to crop up in the development process, you know, where, like, you know, Longstreet should just sit here frozen and do nothing because that's what he does. Um, did, did you have those arguments? Well, there, there's two aspects to that. One is, well, what was... You know what was history, um, and and fortunately Gettysburg is is so extra, extraordinarily well documented, um, down to regimental positions at, at fairly close intervals in some of the, the big map atlases. Um, so there wasn't a question of well, are they supposed to be over here or over there? I mean, there's a, there's a few places where even the historians um, don't really know if they went this way and then that way or that way and then this way. Um, but what we try to do is, is for example, in, in a scenario, we try to have one, one write it initially to do to, to reproduce the history as, as best we understand it, and then we start ringing changes off of it. Well, what if this unit went that way um, and came over here? So we start setting up random. You know, it'll it'll may proceed from the it'll start from the historical positions, and then we'll have random choices. Um, you know, and we have randoms below the randoms, so uh, sometimes three and four deep. So there's lots of different ways that it can, it could could play out um, depending on which set of randoms you hit in which order. Uh, so we always have the the historical reality in there, but we also have a lot of variations on the theme. So it's um, there's a lot of of fun in in playing it again because it's probably going to be different next time. That's one of our major points that we always do is replayability. You know, we don't want somebody to be able to sit there and play the scenario like you have in a, a lot of games, and eventually you just learn how to beat the scenario. We don't want it playing the same time the second time you play it. We want these things to be able to be played over and over again, you know, and each experience is a little different, so it maintains fun. Going back to the issue of realism and historicity, uh, what is the experience you're trying to convey about the Civil War battlefield? Uh, how do you understand the Civil War battlefield? Because you have it down to you know positions, and you have the terrain, and you have the weapons, and you have all the stuff about leadership. Um, I'm a big believer in what I was taught in education school. The term is, is hidden curriculum, the idea that there are things that people are teaching without explicitly teaching you. Like in schools, it's respect authority. Um, what I what I would like people to get out of the game, and I don't I don't think I don't even know if people play it this way, but is to look at the leaders and see where their strengths are and use them for their strengths. Find the bold guys, use them to attack. Find your more cautious guys, use them to hold your positions. You know, I we have um early in the development process when we were working on uh, Bull Run, 
the uh, the testers were getting mad because the AI was making too many decisions. They wanted to micromanage a little, so we put in a button. It's called the button's called Take Command. It made a lot of sense at the time, um, and it turns off the AI for that unit. Well, my goal is, and uh, one of our testers, Randy, we're working to not ever have to use the Take Command button. How do we get this game so people? start using the leaders for their strengths you know you know Longstreet, and we've we have a whole bunch of parameters for all our officers to try to get an idea of what his personality was like so i'm hoping that people will you know find out about Longstreet, look at his strengths and figure out how to use them in the battle without having to take command that that just implies that i'm so much better at this game than i am (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, let, let me, let, you know, the reality is this is really hard, but not like in a like, I hate this game throwing my computer out the window way. But like, th- as soon as you've got, you know, seven or eight units of infantry and a cavalry unit and, you know, two gunners or, you know, two cannon you're trying to put on a hill, even though the pace of it is glacial compared to a modern RTS, um, I, I'm constantly feeling overwhelmed. So the idea that I am simultaneously saying, oh, well, I need to put this guy in the hill because he'll hold the hill, I, it just seems like, I don't know, it's like those guys you watch playing Flight Simulator who can, you know, land in the clouds. <laughs> well, to, to well, some extent, that's exactly what we were trying to 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 get people to experience was what the heck did it feel like to sit on that horse and watch your troops that you had drilled for months, if not years, march out there, get into combat. You know, how do you try and, and you know, manage the, the chaos and confusion of battle, um, achieve your objectives, you know, save the lives of your troops where you can. Um, you know, while everything's going off in 16 directions at once, it's loud and noisy and stuff is going every which way. I mean, it was, we're really trying to to put you in the you know in that horse on that horse on that day to to see what it was like without actually physically getting shot. <laughs> yeah, and and I guess you know the the things that that struck me were in an age where more and more strategy games are sort of deliberately dumbing dumbing down is the wrong phrase but streamlining but pairing pairing down the experience streamlining the experience you know using chess as the as the you know let's not have any more units on the board than there are chessmen on the board and then screw that let's just play checkers you know make it as simple and simple and simpler um this just gets really complicated and and the 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 big positive surprise for me, honestly, because I had not really played the previous game, but I had very brief experiences with them, um, was how good the local, the, my AI felt. The, 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 the commanders in charge of each one of my little units, right? They felt like they were making decisions pretty close to the ones that I would be making if I was actually capable of paying attention to them as often as I needed to. And so, and that's, that to me was a real rarity because I initially wasn't so sure about that. But the, once I realized that, oh, okay, this guy's got a decent leader. I can trust him to actually go take this flank now that I told him to do that. Uh, and to, you know, and to run away if he needs to run away because, you know, he gets flanked. Um, that was kind of a unique experience because I'm not used to playing with, uh, you know, with friendly AI that actually seems anywhere near competent. Oh, thank you so much. That's just about the best compliment I can get. <laughs> well, now Rob can disagree with me and tell me why it all sucks. Yeah. I got okay, a warm fuzzy go. now. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I've had a slightly more mixed uh, interaction. With the AI, <laughs> See, I told you. Um, there you go. I find most, for the most part, my brigadiers are fine. Um, my division commanders, I mean, it, I, I just generally find the more units an AI commander has under his command, the greater the odds are he's going to screw something up. Um, I always try to be, I always try to be taking charge, you know, wherever is the most critical part of the battle. But one thing I do find, um, well, God, infuriating at times is when the, um, forces under the command of other AI generals, you know, my, the peer level of command, um, right. you know, if I'm in, mm-hmm. um, yeah, if I if I'm playing, you know, Rhodes if I'm commanding Rhodes' division and somebody else's division is screwing up, that can totally throw off my game. You know, that's that's the time that's the time when I just I just start cursing that AI for screwing <laughs> up, you know, flank attack. Like why aren't you supporting well, that, me? That's my favorite part of these games though, is realizing that you have to depend on other people and you might think you might be charging forward because you have this great plan, but you're surrounded by idiots. And that's right. kind of like what 19th century warfare was, you know. Not well, there's a general is as good as you were. One of my favorite little pieces of flavor in this game is just the you know the couriers that show up every once in a while and yes. leave you a note. And yeah. and you know and that's just sort of a great. Um, it, it's a completely unique sort of uh, communication style because we're also used to the little video screen popping up in the upper left hand corner that says "Go take that hill." Um, right, and I it's like in the third battle, I think, or you know, as you're working through the days, where one of them shows up and and they, the 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 message is effectively, yeah, we really have no idea what's going on anymore. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's said much more eloquently, obviously, but it's like, yeah, we thought that that was militia, and now oh, we're really confused. Yeah. And we're not really sure what's going on anymore. And I just loved that because that's the, you know that's the kind of thing that I, I imagine is what real war was much more like in that era, where you know you would watch some unit on a hill wheeling left, you'd be like, "What the hell is that guy doing? Why is he going over there?" And you just have no idea, you know. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you my, my favorite thing about this game, though, and this is this is totally geeky, but you guys have the best line manipulation commands I've seen in any horse and musket game. The fact that I can finally order like an oblique advance or a flank march, oh my god, it just makes my job so much freaking easier. Thank you. That, yeah, that that's all Jim. That was one of the like the first things he did when he became a lead designer on this project. He's like, you need to put these commands in. So all that stuff is it was all coded and, and designed by all coded by me, but designed by Jim. It definitely makes it easier. There's no question. Yeah, and it was we're we're trying to at least get the. I mean, drill in 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 that era was just insanely complicated. I've got a a drill manual that doesn't go above brigade or goes basically covers up to the regiment level, and it's like 500 pages. <laughs> uh, it's Jeez. just it, the the I, that's why they practiced it four hours a day every day because it was that complicated, and then you wanted it. You know, ground right into the, you know, to the reptile brain, so that when you were screaming commands on the battlefield and and cannonballs are going overhead and people are dropping right and left, the, you heard the command and your feet knew what to do. You didn't have to think about it; you just did it. And and that's you know that's why they practiced it so much. Um, I mean, you there was I mean, and and part of this is is you know, I've got ancestors that were. You know, in various battles, one of whom was actually at Gettysburg in the 14th Vermont Regiment. So it's like, you know, I don't want him coming back to haunt me and and say, "Boy, you didn't even come close to what it was like." So 
you know, so we try to get it right. But, you know, his that brigade, they drilled for eight and a half months. They were a nine-month regiment, and then they got orders to get on the road, and, and they ended up at Gettysburg. And on the third day, they were right there on the right flank of um, – of where Pickett came in, and they wheeled out with everything going off every which way, and, and shot up the right side of the charge, um, and then they went home. You talk about <laughs> how how long it took the soldiers to learn these drills. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it took me a long time to figure out what all these buttons were for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. and you're only dealing with four or five things. Not well, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have to, I just order my hand, not my feet. Um, to go in the right. When do I want to reel left? When do I want to reel right? Why are my troops facing in the opposite direction? Why are they getting mm-hmm. shot in the back instead of the front? Why aren't they shooting now? You know, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Is there a question of information overload and option overload? Well, it's it's a balance because you know we we build. I mean, as a philosophy, we try to build these games to be long on replayability, which means people are going to get very familiar with it. Right. Um, so we try to build it. You know, so that you don't you don't finish it up and and have done everything there is to do, you know, in a month. Um, so we're willing to accept a little longer learning curve, um, you know, to 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 build that long term experience. And and frankly, what we hope is people who have so much fun with this that when we put out the next one and the one after that, that they'll be lining up with their dollars in hand and and uh, <laughs> you know and buy our next game. Right. There's you also a whole level too much. <laughs> there's also a whole level of command you don't even see. I mean, we throw the the favorites on the toolbar, but there's commands like um, one of our testers was telling me that he put his this command called attack march on his toolbar, and he's using that all the time. It's just a new one he discovered. I mean, there's a whole layer down there that are um, all the modders out there. They create their own toolbars with you know the the secret hidden command layer of the game. Yeah, because you can. Things that we have as, as commands and scenarios, they're just commands. And, and if you want to add some, some more buttons to the toolbar and put some of those commands on there, well, you can do that if, if you're willing to, to mess around with things. It's, it's not trivial, but it's, it's achievable. Not trivial seems like an understatement. I mean, I, I, I can't remember the last time I felt so happy that I got through a tutorial in my life. I mean, I actually, like, <laughs> I actually, I finished the, the, just like the basic infantry tutorial and I was like, yes! And I was like, wait a minute, that was the tutorial. I was supposed to win that one. <laughs> <laughs> was it the artillery one? No, no, just the first no, just infantry one. Oh, oh, the, the, the first, first in- well, this is the first infantry one where I'm just sitting here trying to figure out how to move my troops through the woods, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then, I'm, we, I finally and then the roof, that one. Yeah, and then the roof falls in on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, to some extent, a, a, a deliberate design, and in some ex- extent it was trying to keep the – the AI was wanting to jump in on the fight, so I finally just went with it and said, okay – you know, you really want to have a big fight? Let's just have a big fight and not worry about it. And it was great, but it was, a, but it truly was one of the only times I've ever like done a fist pump after a tutorial. So that was great. You know? <laughs> awesome. The, the learning curve from there, I, I will say, however, is pretty steep. Mm-hmm. And this is not a game that you just like read the manual for twenty minutes and jump in. That's for sure. Well, not not in win. No. We, usually re- <laughs> we recommend people try working with um, our brigade sandbox mode. 
um, when we have new players. Usually, um, when you when you have on that level, it's just one brigade against another. It's it's a great place to work on your strategies, learn your buttons, learn your formations, understand how the game works. And on that level, you can usually get in if you're pretty fresh because it's it's when you get overwhelmed that it starts getting crazy but you can't do gettysburg without getting overwhelmed i mean that's what it is well right i mean and that's the thing is that the bridge from the bridge from the tutorials which are great to the actual battles is it felt to me pretty steep because Mm -hmm. um because you do go like immediately into a complicated combined arms environment where you're worrying about cover and you're worrying about movement speeds and uh it gets it gets thick pretty fast and then I mean, it just it, it just keeps getting steeper because I mean, just from day to day, that battle keeps getting more challenging to manage. Because uh, I can't, day, I mean, I I can't even get through day two. So forget that. I mean, the the, the, the idea that I'll be good enough to ever actually get the tickets <laughs> charged just seems impossible. <laughs> we're, I guess I'll laugh at my expense. I appreciate <laughs> that. We had a tester that has he moved away. He's not on the team anymore. He's a great guy. But that guy could be anything we put in there. He would find a way to just destroy it and rack up these points. I have no idea. I think we probably wrote too many of these for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, but to be fair, you know, I mean, you're not designing this clearly for the mass market Xbox 360 gamer, right? You're designing yeah. this either for pretty serious strategy gamers or pretty serious Civil War buffs. And in either case, they're coming at this with you know at least one set of knowledge that's going to help them out i mean the game does have such a such a sort of thick roots of realism in it that um even if you really didn't know strategy computer gaming you know strategy war gaming or had never played you know napoleonic minis or anything like that but you really understood you know how battles unfurled in the civil war you'd come at it with a pretty good uh you know pretty good base for understanding how the game was going to work most of our players have played Take Command to some degree as well. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, right. Yeah, I've been lost yeah. without that experience. Like our me. goal, yeah, <laughs> we. I mean, we were trying to, you know, create the next level of Take Command. We weren't trying to create something brand new. We liked to Take Command, and we wanted to build on top of that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about multiplayer. We didn't get a chance to have, try any multiplayer, and I will say that uh, some of my favorite uh, gaming war gaming experience of a multiplayer, uh, Sid Meier's Gettysburg, in fact, uh, which I love playing multiplayer with my friend Kevin, uh, and I would have long epic battles back and forth, which we'd solve with a forced march through the woods or capturing that last gun, and multiplayer is great. Could you talk about how multiplayer works in um, Gettysburg Scourge of War? Multiplayer is pretty much the same as single player as far as your experience goes. You are you represent one personality on the battlefield, same as a single player, and the game plays exactly like that. The difference is other officers are represented by other players. Um, so you get in there, everybody picks, you know, whoever starts the server picks what you're going to play. Everybody picks their personality and it dumps you in the game and and it's it's just exactly like single player, except that now the only way to privately communicate with the other players is courier messages. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. So it could be an entirely co-op experience then. Oh yeah, you can pick yeah. whoever you want. You can play everyone against the AI if you want. Oh, oh my see God. now I'm interested because I um, love doing comp stomps. I think yes. that'd be great. How many players can you have? 
Um, you, I, there's no limit, but I th- think we've done the, 10 successfully. Wow. Yeah, okay, now I'm a, interested. There was a, on the board, somebody said they had a five on four that went okay. Um, I think there was another report that they tried 13. Um, yeah, and that didn't work. And that was a little, that didn't work so well, but that might have been before the first patch, so, um, but there wasn't really anything in the patch about AI, so somewhere around the 10 to, you know, 10, 10 plus is, is seems to be the, the practical limit of, of keeping everything synced up and, and playing nice with each other. We're going to get gives you five aside. More. Yeah. We're going to get more. I'm going to keep working on this code till we get 32 in there, without a doubt. It's going to get there. <laughs> We go to yeah. Gettysburg every year, um, and we invite people to come and join us, and, and we do a tour of the battlefield, and then in the evening, we're going to go and do a land party and play the game. So I definitely want to get some big battles. i got a lot of work to do before then, because I don't think Ten's going to cut it. No. I, well, we may have several different battles going on all at the same time, but I don't know. Yeah, it's that that's where it was as of the release version. Um but we didn't. The, part of the problem is we didn't have that many testers in the whole crew at one time. So even when we had everybody up, we only had I think six or seven people online at once, and and we got that to the point where it was stable. The development was was very long. This was this took an awful lot of coding and and a lot of you know load it, you know play through and it's it crashed. Okay, send me the log files, um, you know, or send Norb the log files. Uh, repeat. You know, three times a week for months. So yeah, uh, it, the the whole design of Take Command wouldn't handle the multiplayer correctly. So right. I have a buddy; he works out um, for Sony, and he brainstormed with me, and we figured out a way to attack this thing. So it had to be written from the get go f- to handle this new multiplayer design. And it works. It's 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 really cool, and it's very different psychologically from. From the single player experience, because especially once you've played a lot of single player, you get a feel for how it reacts and and how you can you know you can you know you get a feel for for its for the AI's personalities. Um, but with multiplayer, you don't know. I mean, you don't know what they're going to do because it's different. It's it's some real person out there, and some nights they're really aggressive, and some nights they're just going to hang back and sit on the defensive territory and make you come at them. And if everything's the courier message, there's a good chance of a charge of the light brigade type mistake mm. going through because someone's following the wrong order. Oh, that's yeah. There were no mistakes actually at Gettysburg. Everything went exactly according <laughs> yeah. to everything. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's what's great about coding the AI because if somebody goes, they did something stupid, I'm like, I'm just trying to simulate history here. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if right. you have. Several hours, we can cite you all the examples of where people did fairly stupid things at Gettysburg. Well, I mean, that's in some ways, I mean, the histories that I've read, I mean, you can almost say that the campaign at Gettysburg was a history of mistakes, right? I mean, if everything had gone according to plan, it would have been over very, very quickly. I know people can read about that for days. Oh, yeah. They do. Mm -hmm. Yes, I Send your Civil War buff hate mail to Julian Murdoch at (laughs) at the file. It was all Lee's fault. There, now I'll get some, too. Yes. There you go. Yeah, except where it was Longstreet's fault. Exactly. But we can all agree Yule sucked. <laughs> well, he was over his head. I stay out of this. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's a good call. 
I guess uh, one thing I'm curious about are there are there any plans? Is there any potential for you guys releasing more scenarios? Because one thing I I did notice is that um there are a lot of deep end scenarios in Scourge of War. Um, and I fired up Take Command Second Manassas today, and there's a lot of nice, easy brigade level commands in Take Command. Um, this one definitely is much more for you know higher level officers. Um, any any chance for maybe more baby step scenarios? Stuff that Julian could play, in other words. Yes. <laughs> well, the- go ahead and say it. it's what you were thinking. <laughs> Well, part of the the problem with with Gettysburg is there's simply a an, almost an overwhelming wealth of, of material. And one of the things that we learned when we did Second Manassas, which had forty scenarios, was that was too many. It was it was very difficult to adequately. We don't really feel, in retrospect, that we adequately tested that many scenarios. Um, so we made a deliberate decision to cut it down to twenty, and uh, that was just, um, you know, so so then it gets really hard to pick just 20 scenarios out of Gettysburg's. Right. So we have a lot of other things that, that we could write scenarios on, and, and some of which our scenario designer, who's, who's insanely prolific, has a bunch more sitting on his hard disk um, that will come out at various times. Um, so we will have more content, you know, more Gettysburg scenarios will be coming out. Um it's just a matter of which ones, and because and we're pretty picky about the things we put out, um, you know, we have to feel that we've tested it, and then it's a fun, and b, you know, contains the right elements of history somewhere in there uh, before we'll put it out with our name on it. We um, and, we've no. had a call for playing Pickett's Charge from uh, everybody's. Our our only Pickett's Charge are through carryover, meaning you have to play a precursor battle before you can go right. into Pickett's Charge. Um, and a lot of guys in the forum have been complaining about that because, you know, that's what people want to play in Gettysburg. So uh, one of our guys took our Pickett's Charge scenario, rewrote it, and uh, coming out in um, one of our patches, you'll be able to start up Pickett's Charge in the morning and pick anyone who you want to play and just go right into that battle. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because that's what I did, too. I mean, I think I'm, I guess everybody probably did that the minute they opened up the game. They're like, oh, day three, let's go. Right? <laughs> Right, second biggest scenario in the whole, you know, in the whole battle. Right. So, well, I just wanted to see it. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to win it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the spectacle is 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 not trivial, and and that's part of what we were trying to get is you know is that the, this was a big battle and there was lots of stuff going on. Of course, that means we have to put lots and lots and lots of units on the field to make it look right, which. You know, makes Norb's life difficult and trying to code it at other than, you know, stop stop motion animation speed. I want to talk a bit about the map. Uh, one of the great things about the Take Command games and uh, Scourge of War is how, I mean, it look if you go to Manassas or you go to Gettysburg, and you read about the battles, you can see the terrain. You can see how it was used in Gettysburg, especially. Uh, I wrote about Sid Meier's Gettysburg for a series I did on maps and how that game exemplified how the Battle of Gettysburg's terrain became legends in American history, how, you know, the Round Tops and Seminary Ridge and the Peach Orchard, how all of these locations become part of the map because they're part of American history and say, oh yeah, I know what that place is. Can you talk about the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you talk about the map design and the development of the map? Because uh, it's, it's a 
big map. Mm, well, it's it's actually four overlapping maps because right. we, we, we picked the map as it turned out. Essentially, it's the biggest map that we can put you know, a high level of historical detail on and have it run. Um, but we were, we paid a lot of attention to uh, historical sources. There's uh, we the, the base map, if you will, uh, is the Warren map, which was a survey by General Warren that was he took about two years to do it, starting in about 1868. So it's very very much as as close to the battle, you know, terrain and and building locations as as currently exists. Um, and then we supplemented that with there's a very fine book called The Maps of Gettysburg, which shows unit locations, fences, what type of fence, what crops were in which field. Um, and our map maker, we, we bought the map team, the, the two guys that did the maps, we bought them each a copy of the book and shipped it to them and said, here, <laughs> make it look like this. And then we stood back and they started shipping stuff up and we started tweaking it. Um and one of the real fascinating things about doing the Gettysburg maps was, as we were in development, of course, you, every so often you put up screenshots uh, from the game. And we had several people who would look at every single screenshot in, in excruciating detail and say, hey, what about this and what about that? And we'd go back and check and, you know, and, and if it was something that was correct, we'd add it in. So we had a lot of running feedback not only from our historical sources but from people who were who were just watching the development of the game and and uh, and and providing us with additional levels of historical detail so it was um, you know the objective was to get it as close to what it looked like you know on those 3 days in July of 1863 as as time and historical record and technology will allow us to do and even with all that, we released the game and we had an extra farmhouse in there. <laughs> <laughs> How long did it take for somebody to catch it? Uh, I think it was just that within the first hour of yeah. release. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Big surprise. But that was the only one they caught. Every, you know, that was just one thing on those maps. So we were, yeah. we were all pretty proud That's, of that. Well, I say cool. this to my fellow wargamers. Get help. Yeah, really. Like you can actually hear the voice of the guy doing it. You know, on this hill. Yeah. You know what? If I can't deploy my line though, because there's a big house there, man, I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. So that was Rob who got that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was the objective was try to get it right, and you know, and we got real close. And the only thing that 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 one spare building that was down and tucked in the woods in the corner of the wheat field. That was wrong, and and we had a couple of secondary stone quarries up by McPherson's farm that we didn't get, um, which, when you do the research, turns out to be, you know, essentially shallow pits in the ground with some stones scattered around. So, just for the sake of completeness, we added those in as well. But other than that, it's we seem to have gotten it pretty close to right. We start out with the um, geological survey height map, so we, you know, we put the actual real data right in the game, and we build on top of that. For for most of these most of the battles, there's enough enough documentation that you can get a pretty pretty accurate idea of the terrain. Uh, so I assume that Antietam is next. Mm. Shiloh, come on, tell me it's Shiloh. Vicksburg. We're, we don't commit. <laughs> uh, we we we're, we're actually. 
we're actually so focused on getting the patch out and then right. getting um, we've got to get the the SDK documentation written, which is a, a fairly massive undertaking. Um, and then we're going to have a, a sort of a, a semi a feature release, as we call it, which will have um, the map for East Cavalry Field and and some scenarios mm-hmm. set there. But we've got a lot of work to do on the the cavalry AI is. Um, hasn't had the anywhere near as much attention as it needs, and, and it certainly needs some beefing up to handle an all cavalry battle. Um, so that's that's got to yeah, be done before we get that out the door. Yeah, my first time playing uh, Gamble's Brigade launched a cavalry charge against Heath, which was bold, but, but kind of shocking. Yeah, and not wildly successful. One one suspects it was fast. It's very yeah. fast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, committing to what battle you're doing next, uh, what makes a good war game battle? I would have to, I mean, my preference is I like battles that, yeah, could have gone either way. I mean, that's why... Of which there are precious few. Of, of which, the, well, there's more than you think, um, depending on the level of stupidity that you're willing to overcome. Uh, <laughs> that's why I'm not... <laughs> Um, I mean, everybody says, oh, you ought to do Jackson in the Valley. Well, but the problem is that's wonderful for grand strategy. Um, but you look at the battles, and, and Jackson won because he arranged to, to arrive with two-to-one superiority in forces at, at, at any particular time. So there was very few of the individual battles um, have the potential for being won by someone other than Jackson. Um which was which was part of his genius is that he could arrange to do that reproducibly, right? Um, and that 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 gets right back to my very first question, which is, you know, when you've got history sort of overwhelmingly on one side or the other, does that actually make for great gameplay? It it makes it a lot harder. Um, I mean, it, after we re- opened up the maps on on uh, TC2M, I mean, people did Fredericksburg, uh, which kind of like, and I kind of went like, why? Um, <laughs> It's a Civil War Tower because defense they could. Yeah. Because they could. Civil War Tower defense game. I love that. Yeah, uh, and and to some extent, you know, they one of the interesting things they found was is that the only thing the, the best way to reproduce the battle was simply to, you know, put the troops up and say, "Go get them." You know, let the and let the AI manage the attack, which of course didn't work any better than the original, but at least, um, you know, you didn't need pretty. to micromanage it. Yeah, um, I mean, Frederick variants. Oh yeah, and and in Fredericksburg, there's there's you know it. If you look at the battle carefully, if if um, a major attack had been put in on the Confederate right, you know, down along the plains there, it could easily have broken through. I mean, Meade came close to doing it with a single division, so a, a full corps attack might well have have punched through there, but we'll never know. Well, but so. I mean that that ultimately is the is part of the allure of playing any of these historical mm-hmm. games, right? Is being able to play Pickett's Charge and say, you know, well, what if the initial cannonade had actually softened them up, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and and to to you know that kind of what if it's the whole reason we play these things, right? We don't we're not that, playing them to reenact things perfectly. No, that you're exactly right, and it says, well, you know, he went that way. Well, what happens if I go this way, or what happens if I? You know, hold this unit back for twenty minutes and then send them in. Or, right? Uh, it, it's the you're right. It's, and and I really personally, I really like the what if scenarios. You know, the the big ones. You know, what if Sickles had stayed home? 
What if Jackson was there? What if Jackson was there? I mean, that was one that our scenario designer pretty much insisted on doing, and I thought, you know, that's a good idea because that's that's one of the big questions is, you know, if Jackson had been in charge, you know, how far would he have gotten? And uh, you know, and this way you can you can game this out, and 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 if you don't like the way we gamed it, you can set up your own scenario with the troops where you want them to start, and and play it out yourself. I think there's definitely a uh, an allure to trying to go against the overwhelming odds and try to figure out how it could have possibly be won. To keep replaying Pickett's charge, given the historical numbers, and see if there was a way to win it. Right, exactly, exactly. Mm. I so. think Bull Run started out like that. Didn't we have a, a killer battle right at the beginning? Uh, like, oh, yeah, it was the first, the Evans scenario. It was the hardest yeah. one in the whole game. Was, yeah. And, and uh, you know, but that's where, you know, that was a lesson and that people don't, you know, people really, that was the one that everybody talked about in the, on the boards and, and, hey, how did you do this? And, you know, what kind of a score did you get? And how did you do that? You know, it was... It, that one generated more discussion than any of the others because it was really hard. It wasn't one of the... Um, and it was the first one, so everyone had played it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody so I, played it. So. I, did, I didn't play a Civil War Bull Run. I, I'm not familiar with the scenario. Could you just describe what it is? Uh, well, basically, Evans had a brigade of two regiments. Evans was a, a, a fascinating character. He was he was an alcoholic, um, had, had an orderly who carried a, a small... Um, barrel of rum, or, uh, basically some al- potent alcoholic beverage around behind him. So whenever he needed a drink in the course of battle, he had one right there. Um, <laughs> but he was a hell of a commander, you know, on the battlefield. Um, off the battlefield, he was a trial to his superiors. But Evans had two brigades, or uh, one brigade with two regiments that was on the very left of the Confederate line, up by the the, the famous bridge. And he got word from the the Signal Corps that, you know, essentially the whole Union Army was coming at him. Um, so he moved his brigades up into a good defensive position and and said, you know, boys, we got to hold until the help shows up. And so you've got, you know, a serious adverse situation with, um, you know, a, a full brigade of five or six regiments coming at you with more troops following and artillery, of which you have none. Um or I think maybe no. I, I take it back. You've got one section of two gun, two six pounders, which are good for morale boosting and not much else. Um, and you're, you've got to hold until the reinforcements show up. Um, and of course, we designed it because historically it, they darn near didn't hold. So we made it as difficult as possible to hold on until the reinforcements were were sent in. Um, and we succeeded a little better than we really anticipated. Well, I mean, that's one of my favorite things about this whole series has always been sort of those scenarios where you're a subordinate commander in the middle of a snafu. And basically, you know, because of the way victory points are accrued and the way your performance is weighed, um, I've always enjoyed the fact that, um, you know, even even if you're handed a dog of a fight, there's there's a way to at least make your own performance stand out in the middle right, of the Right, you democracy. can acquit yourself well in the face of uh, certain defeat. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the th- you know we we there's no Kobayashi Maru scenario. That's, oh God, I was going to ask the Kirk scenario. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're actually 
probably I, probably it won't come out till the features, or we may release it separately. But we are we we've kicked around the ideas of of what Norb calls the survival scenarios, where to to give you an example, where you have one division, uh, a, a reinforced division, and you just have to keep you know it's a whole series of carryover battles, and the objective is you can't possibly win it. But how far can you go? Right. How many how many days of of you know your division getting attacked and worn down and attacked and worn down and attacked and worn down? Uh, you know how long can you last? How good are you to, at preserving your troops and winning? To uh, you know, so so we're we may we may put one of those out and, and let's see what people think of it. You yeah, really drive your fans crazy, huh? Oh, yeah. This engine can do so much, and actually, it's funny because you said tower defense, because I got one in there for tower defense, too, because <laughs> yeah, I'd love that. I play that on my iPhone all the time, um, but I was thinking if we had regiments pathing around the battlefield and you you placed other regiments along the roads, I, I thought that might be kind of be fun, but you know, we've just <laughs> in there and all the guys there, so I'm always thinking, what else can we do with this, you know, what, what, what can we, where can we go? Well, one one question I had, because um, I know you've always been really supportive of modders working with these games. Um, and I guess I'm curious, what what have you done with uh, Scourge of War to make that open and mod-friendly? And um, I, I just, you know, from, from my own memory, I remember that somebody was working on a Napoleonic Wars um, mod for Take Command. And they never managed to figure out how to make infantry form squares. Um, so, I mean, how, how moddable is this? How, how how much can people knit sort of a new gameplay experience out of the existing engine? Well, we did put in squares for those guys. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but go ahead. It, it, it would work in multiplayer because you can you can tell them to form squares, but the AI doesn't know about squares yet. We haven't taught it. But no, I mean it's more a question of what didn't we do for modders, and and the only thing we really didn't do is we said you can't, you know, the maps are are reasonably locked up. You can change the terrain to some extent, um, but uh, you know we have to have some some way of making a, a dollar off of this. So if we keep the maps reasonably secured, um, you know, we can sell another game with new maps. You know, that's you know. Right. If, if so we no open Gettysburg, it up, no Gettysburg in outer space. Right. Right. Well, not yet. Um, but I mean, the the engine is is extraordinarily flexible in terms of what you can do with it. Um, I mean, you can change the game interface completely. You can change the combat model. Um, we've got a new file structure um, where mods all go in one place, and and uh, you can turn them on and off literally with two clicks of the mouse. Um, and to some extent, there's probably going to be some that won't coexist with, you know, they won't. You can't have three of them up simultaneously, but because um, they may all be trying to mod the same files. But um, it, it's much more flexible than it was in, in TC2M, and a lot easier for modders to, uh, you know, to work with and to uh, to keep things organized. The modders always loved it because the way it's designed is that we're modders. All our scenarios are written just like a modder would write. Everything that's possible to put in um, CSV files, uh, comma-separated files, we, we do. So even when we're designing the game, we're modding the game. And the biggest problem with TC2M wasn't modders. The, uh, the modders loved it. It was the players who wanted to play the mods. There wasn't a good way 
for them to install mods because the modders kept messing with our base files, which would mess up the game because it was the only way to mod certain things. So we attacked mm-hmm. that problem head on. Now we have a, a a menu item for modding. We got a whole new interface for modding. You can turn mods on and off, and you never have to mess with the base files. So the players should have a much better experience uh, getting mods and using mods. Well, I'll just keep waiting for my uh, Julian's an idiot pack. <laughs> Well, we'll we'll try to keep something that that's not um, not does not require an advanced degree from West Point to uh, to win. I think the Fredericksburg scenario sounds about your speed, Julian. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm not going Julian. Though I I am now very curious about multiplayer. I think co-op comp stop actually sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds like a blast. I'm totally doing that. Yeah, oh, we but, should all do it and then screw it all up for each other. We can grief each other in the game. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, couldn't support you. Well, you don't have to yell at people who are who've been dead for 140 years anymore. You can yell at live people. That would be an entirely new experience. Nobody ever yells at me in strategy games. And <laughs> the guys are having a lot of fun with multiplayer. They come back and write AARs or something about their experience, and it's so cool to see how it's just you know all the different things they're doing that we didn't think of. You know how they're attacking. Even the the very first time we ever demoed this. Um, we were at Gettysburg and we invited some people there and these two guys were there and they're just working together so well we couldn't believe it. It was it's really awesome to watch. Oh, you know, I just I do have one last question actually. Um, just uh, you know, I've, I've been playing this a lot lately and I've got a pretty beefy PC and I got to admit that um, you know, this game sometimes even causes that thing to choke quite a bit. Um, and I loaded up uh, Take Man Second Manassas, and a lot of those problems went away, and I assumed it was they're really similar engines. Um, I'm curious, is, is the code just still kind of a work in process, and there's still, like, tightening that has to be done? Or is there just a lot more going on in this game than there was in earlier iterations? There are a lot more units in this game than there were in Take Command. Um, yep. But if when I look back, when Take Command came out, the same arguments were made. Um, I always try to write a little on the edge of what's currently out there. Um, so take commands running great now in yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, a little while, this game will be running great. You know, I don't want to write for an ancient, but we, we put in so many options so that anybody can play it. You know, you can, you can chop down everything. Uh, very few people can't play the game in some form. Yep. I'm playing it on a laptop and it's doing okay, as long as I haven't awesome. you know backed off a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Norb and Jim, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting us. Yes. Uh, please keep us updated on uh, what's going on uh, with Gettysburg, your new files, uh, new scenarios, and likes. So we can, so I can at least advise uh, readers of Flash of Steel. There will be a link to a site where you can buy this quite interesting game uh, at the bottom of the podcast. Next week, we still do not have a topic. Hopefully, Tom and Bruce uh, can join us, and then Julian can meet his friends again. (laughs) (laughs) Say goodnight, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.